Hello and welcome to Tess Podagogy. This is the podcast which brings you everything that you need to know about teaching and learning, produced by the editors and writers at TES. We interview leading academics, start debates about pedagogy, and take deep dives into some of the big issues facing teachers today. This season will bring you a wealth of new guests who will all shine a light on their research and how it translates into the classroom. We will also dig into our archive to bring you the best episodes from past seasons. These have all been chosen because they continue to have relevance for teachers today. I'm Kate Parker, a features writer at TES, and this week our commissioning editor, Helena Mass, talks to Professor Rose Luckin and Corrine George about the place for artificial intelligence in education. Luckin is a professor of learner-centered design at the UCL's Knowledge Lab and is the founder of Educate Ventures Research Limited, a London hub for startups, researchers and educators developing evidence-based educational technology. George was a head teacher for 20 years and today is an active research practitioner who ties together research, business and education to transform leadership and pedagogy. Together, they have published a new book, AI for School Teachers, which aims to empower teachers through AI and data. To begin with, the pair discuss exactly what AI is and to what extent technology is already being used in schools. Too often, they say, teachers have a fear that AI will take over their jobs, that they'll be replaced by robots, but often this fear is down to a lack of understanding. I would say that it's important to see artificial intelligence as, yes, technology behaving in intelligent ways, but it's not limited to robots. Most AI is invisible. It's software. Um, that we often use without realising that we're using artificial intelligence. So perhaps you use your phone to dictate notes and as you speak, your words are translated into text on the notes. That's artificial intelligence. If you have a, a personal assistant like a Siri or a Google Home or Alexa, you talk to them and the interpretation of your speech by that assistant is done through artificial intelligence. So it's a way of making technology behave in ways that we would think of as being intelligent. And it it can come in lots of different forms. So yes, it can be robots, it could be self-driving cars. As I say, it can be, you know, assistance on your phone or the way that your fitness tracker gives you feedback about what you should be doing next when you go out to exercise. So, so many different ways in which we're using AI all the time. And as I say, most of them invisible. Karine, how would you describe AI? I think AI are a new set of tools that we can use in our trade to support us to leverage um, the power and, well, to leverage our work, working practices in a way that we haven't before. And what it can do for us if we're open to it, if we have a growth mindset about it and we don't let fear get in our way, it will help empower us to use our intelligence in different ways, in more focused ways. And it will allow us to alleviate that burdensome workload that we have with some of the iterative tasks that actually, if we could get rid of, we could really focus on the interesting parts of the challenges we face within our working practices. So I think it's tools of the trade, new tools of the trade that we can use, that we should be excited about um, and open to and not fearful of. Uh, you know, and we can do that by just developing a little bit of our understanding. 
And to what, to what extent then is this technology already being used in schools and, and, and what's it being used for? You sort of talked there about the kind of um, it being the new, new tools of the trade. What sort of um, you know, purposes are, 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 is it being used for? Well, I think the pandemic has seen um, tech, you know, this sort of technology be integrated into schools, particularly with um, adaptive learning, because we've had these gaps in our working practices during COVID. And suddenly what was a barrier to using these resources has suddenly come into schools because we've seen it as a way of integrating it into um, practices to help us bridge this gap that we had during COVID. Um, so it's there. It's being utilised. Um, not all of it. We're using just a small amount of it. Um, and unfortunately, I'm going to say this, we've got to be careful because in some ways we're using it as a plug and play convenience. And we've got to be without the understanding of, of really what we could leverage, the benefits that it could bring and how we can mitigate against its risks. So it is being used in schools in many ways, sometimes to reduce workload and by some schools, to be fair, for really creative you know, recruitment, retention to change pedagogies. Um, in the way that we've been teaching, to think about different ways that we could personalise learning. So there's some great practices out there, but it's a more scattergun approach. And we need to, we need to actually galvanise those good uses and our own understanding. So it's being used in a myriad of ways in our organisation by a myriad of people, but not with a consistent understanding across the piece, because there's been little training um, and little time for schools to get to grips with it. Um, and also perhaps not the value that it should have had placed upon it and the training that we now need. I think it's a really important point that you're making, Karine, because there's a huge risk of um, exacerbating the inequalities that we know exist if we don't help all educators and all educational leaders to understand enough about AI to leverage it effectively. And you're right, there are lots of um, increased uses of adaptive systems that use that employ AI through um, increased use of technology during the pandemic. And there are also invisible uses of AI in tools that we don't even think of as having AI, you know, whether it's technologies provided by big tech companies like Microsoft or Google, who may be employing AI techniques in what they're doing, and, and they may not be. And I don't mean that that's necessarily a bad thing either. I'm just saying that often we don't actually realise when AI is being used because we don't understand enough about it. And that even when it is explicitly a tool that is saying, yes, we're using AI to personalise um, the way that a student experiences the curriculum or the way that we support a student, or whatever, if we don't help all educators to understand enough about AI, then some will become much, much better at leveraging AI to their own benefits and to their own students' benefits, and then you get another inequality, and we have enough inequalities in our system as it is. So I think, you know, that's something I worry about a lot, and it's part of the motivation for wanting to write the book is that for me, AI ought to be a tool to create much, much greater equality of education. You know, the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning 
is the thought that for the first time in the history of the world, of humankind, we could actually give every child, every person in the world, a quality education if we get the technology right, if we get the AI right. It could be a huge force for good, a huge force for creating greater equality. But unfortunately, at the moment, it's it's not really because various factors play into that, um, some of them to do with commercial pressures, making money, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the biggest one is the fact that most people don't understand enough about AI to, to leverage it effectively. And for me, I'm concerned about education. So the people I want to understand more about AI are the people who are involved in education so that we can really try and prevent increasing inequalities and get that dream going of getting everybody a quality education. Mm. So, I mean, so I must stress there, I don't mean by AI replacing teachers. Mm. I mean by it being exactly as Karen describes, an extra tool in your toolkit where the AI helps you be an even better teacher, helps your students learn more and more effectively. It's about enriching, improving, enhancing our human selves. It's not about replacing us. Can I just take away a fear for some teachers as well? Because there's all this rhetoric, this this theory of folklore about how new technologies are going to take over our working practices and our and our lives. And I want to say, when I first came into teaching many, many years ago, I saw the first BBC B um, in a head teacher's office. It was not allowed to go into the classroom because teachers were fearful it would take over their jobs. Now, decades later, I sit here and it still hasn't taken over our job. So we need to remove, we need to start removing these barriers. And one of the biggest fear to the adoption of any new practice, process, technology is the fear that is built up through our lack of understanding and through our confidence levels about taking on or tackling something that seems inaccessible to us. So I started life um, as as a primary school PE teacher. PE was my subject. I had no interest in this, but when you can become a, a teacher, what you soon realize, you know, is, is that what's seamlessly integrated into our lives is what we need to help prepare our young people for, because our moral imperative as teachers is to prepare our young people to be life-ready, world-ready, work-ready. Um, a quote from John Dunford, which, I, I, which always grounds me, am I doing that as a teacher? And with all the um, competing priorities that poor teachers have and, and, and head teachers with their workload, you know, we, we get taken away from that moral imperative. And so it's really important that if we're going to prepare our young people um, to leverage the benefits, mitigate the risks of what is seamlessly integrated into our lives, that we help our young people to understand it. And we have to do that by understanding it for ourselves. And I say in the book, I am not a, ding- uh, you know, a digital ninja. It wasn't something that came to me, but actually it wasn't as frightening as I thought at all. And if you can open your mind, open the book and have a look at some of the simple steps, you too could get an understanding, a basic understanding of how some of these tools and techniques could actually enhance our job a hundredfold and not actually, um, you know, make it more difficult for us. It's a bit like driving a car. 
I always think it's a bit like driving a car. I can't build a car. I don't know how to build a car. And actually, I'm not interested, if I'm honest. It's a bit like AI. That's Rosie's job. That's not my job. I'm not interested in that. But I can drive it. I know what the goals are for me when I'm driving. I know what the benefits are. And I know how to do it safely. And that's what we can teach you through this book, through some very, and it's not even a hard read. So what I'm saying to everybody that's listening to this podcast is this is a tool that can actually help leverage some of the biggest challenges you face. All you've got to do is open the book. So what are some of the misunderstandings or misconceptions that currently exist? And how do we address those? Is it simply the case of more training or more funding? We know that the cost of technology is a prohibitive factor for schools, given that budgets are already so tight. So what are the solutions to this? I think one of the biggest things, all right, is that the solution to many of schools' challenges are hidden in plain sight, and that's through our data. But data is a dirty word. It's often seen as a four-letter word in education. I can say that because I felt like that, really felt like that. Mentioned data. It's seen as our enemy. It's sure to get the hackles of education, you know, educators up because it's synonymous with, the, you know, the terminal exam by which sometimes we make sweeping judgments, narrow judgments. And nevertheless, whether we like it or not, data is found in every fibre of the school. And we don't, the fear factor is we look at one aspect of data and we don't consider all the data that could help us. And data that we've, until I worked with um Rose and started talking about some of these things. I hadn't considered some of the data that unraveled some of the challenges that I was facing. You know, the heating, the lighting, who thinks about that? Whom sitting next to whom? Recruitment and retention, the balance of teacher talk to student talk, collaboration. Sometimes we look at a single source of data and yet there's lots of data. And if we, if we could um, flip over the negative attitudes that we have as it's our enemy and see it from a different perspective, we could show how it could be used to best effect in simple terms. And you don't need to be a mathematician, all right? We don't need to be, we need to understand some nuances of it, but we don't need to be, you know, a STEM teacher, a mathematician. All we need to know is that we have a challenge and there is a mechanism and a framework for asking ourselves some questions to help us pull together those sources of data to help us unravel some of these big challenges that we have. And all we've got to do is take a breath and a pause in order to do that, because sometimes we're so busy finding solutions that we do it in narrow ways and disappointed when we don't get the results that we want. So data is the enemy, to, you know, will seem like the enemy, but actually it's what powers AI. And if we, if we see it in a different light, it can actually be our friend and can be our greatest support in unraveling the biggest challenges that we face in our context because there are too many solutions that are given to us as a, a one-size-fits-all. And schools are not a one-size-fits-all. Sit with any teacher who watches a video about how to, to do something. They go, but that's not our children. That's not our context. I don't have eight children in my class. I have 34 in my class. You know, they'll come up because my context is different. AI can help you be context-specific. And again, it's just the opaqueness and the lack of understanding that is a really big barrier and the nature of talk that gives us these falsehoods um, and these this folklore about, you know, the bad stuff. Because every film you watch, don't you? AI is going to take over the world. You've only got to watch a film yeah. and it's going to take us over. It's going to take our skills. There's not going to be any jobs. We're all going to be roaming around. 
um, uh, doing nothing. But Rose, and I'll let Rose do the quote. Rose has this fantastic, which I've used quite often, but it, it's roses. So I'll let you do about the fog and the car driving, because I think that's a fantastic analogy <laughs> to understand the worries that people give us in an easy, you know, in a way that, that, that you know, move, removes the fog. I don't know whether you want to talk about that analogy that you use, Rose. Sure, I, I can do that. And I'll, I'll also um, say something else about what you just said, Karine. So the analogy first, um, I often think that too often um, in life, we are the equivalent of, of driving a car in thick fog and it's a car that we're not familiar with and we're not familiar with the roads and somehow we've got to find our way through. And generally being given a map in that situation, which is what the equivalent of what often happens, is not very useful because actually... <laughs> You can't see where you're going um, and you're not familiar with, with, with the roads. And what you actually need is to know that you've got, you know, your eyesight's good, your hearing's good. You're not under the influence of alcohol. You're a qualified driver. Your car works. It's got lights. It's got brakes. You know, the steering is sound. And then you can kind of work your way through. So it's more about empowering yourself than waiting for somebody else to give you um, the tool to help you get to the next step. And I think understanding AI is a way of empowering yourself. And it that also speaks to something that Karine has just been talking about. I think that this question about data is really important because too often data is used to judge people. It's what makes up league tables, this kind of thing. And I'm concerned that it's possible that people may look at AI in the same way because AI is very good at measuring the way it's it's used at the moment if we have an adaptive platform, which is very useful. But we're also getting constant feedback about how a child is progressing, which is brilliant. But at the same time, I have a fear that people may see that as a way of judging again. It, 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 and therefore, we need people to understand how data can be their friend and how they can use data to enrich their understanding of how they can ensure that every child reaches their potential and that every teacher is the best teacher that they can be, that they feel that they're, they're achieving their best rather than it being seen as that, that tool um, for judging um, what's going on. So I think there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reason to be concerned that the way in which AI uses data, if we don't understand it enough, can be seen as something to fear because it's been used as something to judge us in the past. And we need to get over that and we need to to really get under the bonnet of what's going on. And that's what we try and do in the book, is really try and get people um, inside what AI does to try and understand what AI is. And in the process of doing that, we also want them to think about data, their data differently, to empower them to understand what it is that they're facing, the challenges that they're trying to, to address through their teaching through their learning. 
I think cost is a key issue in every school. It's one of the biggest problems. But the whole point of this book is to ensure, and um, one of the biggest aims is that if you understand a little bit about um, AI and you understand what it can do for your school, then actually you'll spend your money more wisely on the technologies that will answer your challenges. Absolutely. And this is one of the key aims of the book. Why we got together, um, you know, as, as uh, co-authors is that we could bring together our expertise because between us all, we understood the different parts of the challenges. And Rose has been a teacher too, so she's got both, both sides of the, of the coin. Uh, so what we, want, what we wanted to do is really under, use the challenges that we have, you know, um, and be able to show teachers just how they can use their very meager finances wisely for the key challenges and the workload issues and all the things that stop them doing what they love about educating um, children uh, more appropriately, smarter and more wisely. And we can, and we only need a little bit of background knowledge and we've got a framework and some guiding questions that will help you to do that. Now, in terms of top down, what we need desperately is we need people in um, the places that count, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say that word, the government, to understand um, not what teachers are facing, but that they need time for training. We need to give some breathing room for people to get their heads around this, to make it a priority. It's no good us talking about all the different things we can do in education if we don't give people the right training and time. You do it in every other industry. But in education, teachers, you know, a couple of inset days or, you know, four inset days and we're supposed to have done our training or a staff meeting when you're absolutely shattered at the end of the day. And actually there's 110 other iterative issues that, you know, the school trip that needs organising, a parent that's upset, behaviour management parents' evenings. Unless you've walked in the shoes of a teacher, and I've done it for decades, or any, any job, you can't understand all the nuances. But if we could just give some time for training... You know, think about when the national curriculum came in. It came in because there was time that was denoted to, let's get everybody to understand the basics of this, you know. And it might have not all been right. You know, we had the clock and we had to understand our English by in units. Or whatever. But actually it gave us some background information. It gave us a talking point, a way in which to communicate and share ideas with a better understanding. Now, we need that. We need that to be given to schools. We need them to to be given that breathing room and that time as well. But if they're not, and if we're not given that breathing room and time, then our moral imperative is for individual school leaders to give it that time. And they show, look at look what they did during COVID. They had to reshape their whole schools and they did that by working with each other and communicating. So if we can't get it from the top down, we've got to get it from the bottom up and we've got to work together to help each other understand this. And this is what this book is the foundation for to give you that starting point, to give you something you can do tomorrow in your schools and something that you can share and under easily understand. Karen is absolutely right there. I agree. And, and to go alongside the book, which does have lots of practical tips, we have built a free training course that any teacher can use if they want. It's on the Educate Ventures website that you can sign up um, to try and help. Because I think and this is a um, a controversial point uh, when it comes to my colleagues in computer science. There's a belief that in order to understand AI, you need to be able to program, to write program code. 
I don't adhere to that belief. I think that educators can understand a whole load of very, very, very useful things about AI without the need for coding at all. And let's face it, coding itself is one of the things that is already being automated because we can train AI to do the coding. So I think there's a there's a there's a need to provide training in a way that is appropriate for educators. And that's not in a way that means they have to develop the technical expertise around learning to code. There's so much you can understand without needing to do that. And so that's the way that we've approached it in the book. And that's the way that we approach it in the training course, which uses many of the same examples as the book. And we've tried to use examples that are realistic in an educational setting and to, to go through steps and provide things like a checklist for things so that it makes it more straightforward and practical to apply. I mean, there are elements of this that, that educators can't do. We're not expecting them to be able to apply AI techniques to their data. We show them what an AI technique could tell them about their data, but obviously we're not expecting them to be able to do that for themselves. But knowing what the AI can do to data will help them to understand much more when they're looking to invest money in some AI for their school about what they can expect that AI to be able to do. And also what kind of questions they should be asking of the company that's trying to get them to use a particular sort of AI. So yeah, absolutely training is essential, but it doesn't have to be hugely expensive. You know, it really can be a case of building from the bottom up. I think the key thing that needs to come from the top is the recognition of the value of training around AI and the importance of understanding data and AI so that you're you're, the time as a teacher that you put in, the time as a leader that you put into this training is acknowledged as being a good thing. And, and I say that because if we look at the PISA data um, about the UK in comparison to other countries, we have one of the highest rates in the OECD countries. And yet, we do not encourage educators to integrate that technology into their practice. We score very lowly on that. So we've got the tools in many instances, but we don't encourage and validate the effort that educators go to to try and use those technologies effectively. And so we don't want the same to happen with AI. I think a lot can be done without it costing a fortune but there needs to be acknowledgement that this is a valuable and important thing to do. Indeed, educators recognising the value and importance of AI may be hard to come by at the moment. Obviously, schools are already focusing on a huge number of things, especially after the pandemic, with the return of exams, gaps in learning and rising rates of mental health issues. Many teachers would probably feel that finding out more about AI is simply not a priority for them at the moment. But here, George and Luckin explain why it should be and what the benefits AI can bring to teachers and schools. I, I think teachers are thinking in those terms. And, and I think that goes back to Rose's point that it's not, we need people in 
in, um, if you like, in the government to explain the value and to allow us to talk about the value of what this could do for us. And that's, if you don't understand the value, if you don't have the time to look, okay? Um, and, and, and that's key. That is key in schools. Because what happens is we narrow what teachers do by some of the iterative tasks that we get them to do. So we keep talking about narrowing the gap, getting people back on task. Um, uh, uh, but so much of this is intertwined in our, you can't teach until you've got students well. You can't, um, and you can't understand how to do that or what they've been against unless you've got some understanding of the different nuances in the different contexts. And the way to do that is to test your assumptions and to understand the data that you have within your own schools. Now, I hate using the word data because data itself, the word data is a turnoff. But those collaborative discussions are what is going to help us to unravel the challenges we face. And so with the, uh, my argument for if I was talking to anybody is we have so many teachers leaving the profession at the moment because they can't see a way through and the way through is there. The tools are there to help. But so let us help you understand how to use them to lessen the workload, unravel complexities and answer some of those issues. And, and the difficulty we've got is that we don't give the teachers the time to do that. And we don't understand the value of how AI can help going back to Rose's point. So it's there. We can do it. We've, we've, just got to, we've just got to allow people to have the time to do it. And, and if that message was coming from the right places, we could change, fundamentally change the foundation of education and the way that we work. Because we're at a time now where we've seen this transition in the way we're teaching and the pedagogy change because it had to. So, so people, you know, Educators are hugely brilliant at adapting. They've had to do it in the time that I've been um, a teacher and, a, you know, 20 years of headship. We have had so many changes that we've had to adapt to and we can do it. We've, we proved it during COVID. So allow teachers the time to understand the value of it and we can solve some of those problems, particularly the recruitment crisis, because we have not understood why teachers, we think we understand, but there's a lot of assumptions in there. And again, AI is a tool that can test our assumptions and help us with these things if we go through that process. But we don't, you know, um, who was it? Uh, the, the, uh, was it Roosevelt that did the known unknowns and then the known knowns and the, you know, and there is so many known, you know, we don't know what we don't know. So let us show you, let us understand, let us look at a new way or we're going to get what we've always got. So if teachers were able to embrace this technology more fully, what, what kind of benefits uh, would there be for, for teaching and learning in schools? If you could give some kind of practical examples of, 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 of how it might work, that would perhaps be helpful to kind of illustrate it to people. So administrative work, like let's take the, 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 the iterative task. Teachers come in with this, you know, I came into teaching and, and it was going to be wonderful and I was going to be to, able to share some of the unique um, creative approaches I have to developing teach children's understanding. And then the iterative daily grind uh, took, took such a large percentage that it, it, it dulls the enthusiasm. So in terms of uh, workload, in terms of marking and feedback, AI can help us there instantly. Because you imagine how, you know, I talk to my daughter at the end of the day and I'm always sending her blogs and um, bits of reading on um, 
uh, research that actually, uh, you know, so that the learning that we do is not, you know, is not lower intuition and theory, but it's got some empirical research behind it. And what she always comes back to me is, I want to read it, mum, but I've got all the marking and the preparation for the next day. Teaching is a job that does not finish. You cannot walk away from it like you can with most jobs. Every job, and it's not the teachings, better or worse, it's that is one of the nuances within this particular profession. You go home at the end of the day and you've still got 50 things, a parent that you haven't answered, a behavioural record to fill in, you know, the marking, and it's there and the preparation for the next day based on what you've learned about the children that day, okay? So it's a never-ending job. But what about we could get rid of some of the marking and the because some of those um, basic knowledge base uh, questions, you know, the, the little quizzes and things we can do, could be easily um, responded to and give us some feedback for which we can plan for the next day. So that's just a very minor example. But workload is one of them. Planning a school trip, easy. You can do that with AI and fight, you know, with, with all the data you get their children, you know, how many children need this sort of diet, that sort of diet. You can do that with the good old fashioned AI. So that that workload that is huge and complex can be managed through that mechanism. It can also help us with behaviour. We're talking about behaviour issues with the children, but again, when we're looking at behaviour, we look at one single source of data. Often, we don't look at multimodal data, so we don't think about who's sitting next to who, or how does the lighting and the heating affect the children within that classroom environment, and you know what if they're dyslexic and how they're looking at the screen or where they're looking from or how they're communicating with each other, you know. So all that sort of data can help us with looking at behavior, but sometimes we're so tired, we look at one aspect and we report on one aspect and then we're disappointed. So it can help us collect, test our assumptions and think about some of those issues to do with behavior. And then it can we can reform. Think about um, one of the things that, that, that we did a, a massive report for Educate Ventures on looking at teachers during COVID. And one of the things that sprung to mind is those young people in people referral units that they're desperate for teachers, they get little teaching hours. Actually, we could reshape and replan education because depending on how we all realize, it's a bigger conversation, but I can see ways through that their actual teachers could plan lessons for them so they can still be part of their school. Those children who can't manage in school because of the noise levels. We could rethink, we can reshape how we teach some of those children. Now, it's not going to be easy. It's not a two-minute conversation, but we're opening new doors to new initiatives and exciting. It just takes some some thinking about, some time to reorganise, remanage our finances and how we approach things, particularly when we've got teachers coming and going with COVID, not well, illness and so forth. But there are mechanisms that we could do that with and AI will allow us to do it. So, you know, we've got new new mechanisms for teaching. We've got workload issues. Um Safety, systems for safety. You know, we, we're, we're recording children's, you know, we've got parents' communications coming in. We've got outside agencies' communications coming in. We've got the daily feedback. Again, AI can help us look for patterns in those data, patterns that we haven't thought about through, um, you know, unsupervised mechanisms. We can work out, you know, it'll, it'll throw up things for us that we hadn't considered that we can then talk about with our team. So it's doing, I mean, I can go on, I can keep going on, but it, it, but it's doing the heavy lifting for us. And that's what we need in education. We need the heavy lifting done for us so we can focus on what we do best. You know, it, it, collaboration techniques. How often do we really review collaboration techniques? And there are AI technologies. We can analyze um, eye movement. 
and hand movements on how children are actually, you know, how they're feeling before they even take part in a lesson. Um, so there's all sorts of things, if we understood a bit more about AI, that would be important for our setting that we want, might want to utilise, that will do the heavy lifting so that the things that AI cannot do, it can't adapt as quickly as we can to situations, understand when a child is coming in the morning and they've had a really bad day. We can deal with those really important things so they can learn, so that you know we can, we can deal with the personalised nature of that. And we can do what we came into teaching to do, to teach. Absolutely. I think we can use AI to do a lot of what Karine has called heavy lifting. We can automate a lot of the um, routine tasks, but we can also provide huge amounts of insight, um, rich information, increase teachers' understanding about, say, a behavioural issue or about what's happening um, in a classroom, perhaps looking at the relationship of the extent to which a teacher's talking or children are talking and using AI to analyse that. The, the, if we can automate some of the humdrum, that, that the stuff that has to be done, and give teachers space, we can also give them the tools when they've got that thinking space to really embrace how AI can fundamentally change the way they do their job, make it much more satisfying, enable them to do the things they really came into teaching for, to build those relationships with their students, to ensure that every child in their class reaches their potential because they have more time, more space to think, and they have AI tools to help them with that thinking and to help them understand precisely what each child needs in any moment in time. So it, it, it's, a, it's a tool that can both help you with the routine and therefore give you time and space and then help you when you've got that time and space to make the most of every minute, basically. It's clear that George and Lukin are both passionate about the benefits that AI can have. But are there things that we need to be cautious about too? I think our, our own personal data, you know, our privacy, we can give away quite easily without realising it. Um, and I think that's why I said about the, you know, we've got to be careful we're not using it as a mechanism for convenience and plug and play without realising um, the issues that go with it. Because where that data gets stored and how it is used is really important. And, you know, I think that's not just for educators, that's for all of us every day in the technology that we use. Where is it going to end up? And, and what was interesting for me um, when I was with a school looking at some tech AI that they were going to buy is that even the people selling it weren't clear about where it was going to store. They gave off-pat answers all right, you know, oh, it's going to be stored in great big computers in Iceland, I think one person said. Yeah. So how how is that actually, you know, how do, how do we know? Because once you give away your data, how is it going to be utilised? Who's going to have it? And, and imagine if that data then comes back when you go to apply for another job and somebody has got access to it and uses it against you because they don't understand, they haven't got the full picture about you or about perhaps some condition you might have. You know, and how that you know how that affects you, but not, might not affect your working your working life. So we've got to be really careful. And um, you know, it's a bit like uh, we you know using Alexa or Google. 
you know, teachers are using that in the classroom for language teaching. But what other data is it capturing around and how is that data being used? Are we aware of that? So our data, I mean, and again, I'm using Rose's word, you know, data is the, is, is the new oil, but, but actually it's so valuable to us. And that's what big companies want. They want your data. Uh, and you can see that just by when you shop online, you know, and how much more they take off you and then, and then recommend, you know, these recommender systems. So your privacy is because don't forget, everything's developing and we don't know where it's completely going to end up, do we? It's a bit like, you know, we all use cars and we think how cars are brilliant. And now we're thinking about the emissions for cars and the damage it's doing. Your privacy is key. So take hold of it now and think about it. Because, you know, that's why the ethics surrounding AI are really important to discuss at the beginning. And we pick that up in the book. Because when you use a tool, about any tool, anything new that comes out, even when the television came out, we started having the watershed period. People were worried about, you know, putting locks on tellies because of what children were going to be watching. Well, of course, they're watching some of those things. But actually, we need responsible people to educate our young people of the future and to educate ourselves about what those dangers are so we can mitigate against the risks. And that's what we've got to do with AI. Your privacy and your data is important to you. We don't know where that's going to end up. And if you don't know, if you don't look after it now, it's going to be too late in the future because things are developing all the time. Absolutely agree, Karine. The sort of one of the real issues um, that does address is if we can help people, particularly in education, because then they can help the people they're teaching to understand how AI uses data and, and why it's so important and what kinds of things you can learn when you apply AI to data, then they'll be in a much, much better position to make wise decisions about what they allow to happen to their data and how they protect their data. I think, of course, the, the large technology companies that are making a fortune out of the way that they process people's data don't really want people to understand AI, not really, not really understand exactly what's happening. And that's what we've got to help, particularly educators, um, to, to get, as I said earlier, under the bonnet of, you know, we really need them to start understanding what it is that an AI can do with data and, and why that matters. Because if we, if we don't crack this, then I think there's a huge risk um, to everybody that, you know, their privacy is shot and they're at risk of being manipulated by uh, companies who see enormous profits coming from the way that they can manipulate the behavior of populations. So. You know, if our educators don't understand enough about data and AI, what chance the rest of the world, to be honest? Yeah, and that that just kind of sums up the kind of um, crucial role that teachers teachers have here in in, in understanding it themselves to be able to educate educate others about it. And it's not going away. Um, I, I think it was interesting this morning. I was uh, listening to you know the ongoing, never ending debate about self driving cars and. Okay, it, you, you, the driver isn't responsible um, if the AI is driving the car and the driver's watching a movie mm -hmm. or, or whatever. But if they're on their mobile phone, they are. 
and and that decision is around because it's made because um, people are more distracted when they're having a conversation on their mobile phone than they are when they're watching a movie. Um, but it doesn't take much to translate that into a classroom. So if we have all these AI systems that teachers don't really understand, then at, at what point does the AI become responsible? Where does the teacher, do, do you see what I mean? We, we start to get into really difficult territory. So it's very, very important um, for everybody to understand this, but we have to start with teachers because they're the most important people. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Test Podagogy and please join us again next week.